The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. Thrilled that you could join us because we have got one firecracker of a show for you today. We're talking about something that is so current and so enthralling that I'm just thrilled to bring it to you. A lot of you have heard that we have some Greenpeace activists who've been arrested and they have been charged with piracy and they're being held without bail in Russia, all because of a peaceful protest against Arctic oil drilling. And today, our guest is the executive director of Greenpeace USA, Phil Radford, and we're going to be talking about what's going on with these uh, prisoners. We're going to be talking about what the big deal is with Arctic oil drilling. For those of you who are at a very rudimentary level of understanding about what's going on up there, stay tuned. You're going to get a soup-to-nuts explanation of what's going on in the region, what's going on with the Greenpeace activists, and I am so excited to introduce Phil. Phil, thanks for joining us on Go Green Radio. Thanks for having me, Jill. Well, it's it's a big, important story, and I'm glad that we're able to bring it to our listeners because we haven't done a lot of talking about specifically what's going on in the Arctic region. And though I'm really excited to get into a full conversation about the Arctic 30, our, our brave activists who are uh, currently being held in Russia, I want to tee up this subject a little bit for our listeners who may not know as much about what's happening in the Arctic Circle as they need to know in order to fully appreciate this story. So talk to us about how the Arctic Circle region itself has changed in the past few years in terms of things like, you know, the rate of the ice melting and, you know, what's happening up there? Well, you know, in the larger context, Jill, um, scientists think that we are running out of fish to eat. And so a lot of scientists think that up to 50% of the world's fisheries could be commercially extinct by 2050. We're just overfishing too much. Pollution is hurting them. Um, And then... Oil is getting more and more expensive. We all know that. I fortunately haven't bought gas for months and months and months because I have solar powering my electric car. But oil is getting much more expensive. And so companies and governments are going to the ends of the earth and doing incredibly extreme things to find the last drops of oil, which are more and more expensive to get to because otherwise we would have drilled them. So in that context, you have the Arctic, which is changing really dramatically. So this year... There's a sixth least amount of ice in the Arctic Ocean in recorded history. So we're talking about thousands of years that that we've studied this and that scientists have studied this. Last year was the lowest on record, and it's because of global warming. It's because of burning oil and coal and natural gas for our electricity and our vehicles, which puts out carbon pollution, which is causing global warming. So you have the Arctic ice melting. You have global warming causing it. You have... It's harder and harder to get fish to feed billions of people. You have it harder, you know, you have governments and companies struggling to find new sources of oil and natural gas. And suddenly, the water of the Arctic are ice free in the summer. 
So you have a rush of big companies and big countries working to militarize the Arctic so they can get to the resources, um, competing with their companies to get there first. And it's in a sick twist in a way. Burning oil and natural gas has caused global warming, um, but the interests of most governments and companies are to make even more money um, by finding even more oil and gas and burning even more in the Arctic that's been melted by climate change. You know, and that's something that, you know, for those of us, it's been a long time since we learned about the Earth's carbon cycle, maybe in sixth grade science. Help us understand, you know, in layman's terms, how burning carbon fuels, hydrocarbon fuels like oil and and uh, coal and gas, how do these fossil fuels, when they're burned in order to create various forms of energy, how do they impact the Earth's carbon cycle in such a way that the ice in the Arctic is melting. Kind of give us the layman's Reader's Digest version of how that happens. Sure. You know, the Earth already has a greenhouse effect, right? So water vapor, carbon dioxide, and other uh, other molecules in the atmosphere trap some heat into the atmosphere and make the Earth livable. Um, when we burn, and a lot of the carbon dioxide is in a natural balance, and so the Earth has been in a natural balance for years where um, you know, plants will absorb it, it'll get buried into the soil, might turn into coal or oil or other things. The oceans absorb a lot of carbon dioxide. And there's a relatively natural balance that has kept the atmosphere during human existence relatively stable. Mm-hmm. We, in the last 50 to 100 years as human beings, have started to dramatically change that. Um, the world's best scientists just met and said there's a 95% chance, they have 95% certainty which, you know, if it's all the world's best scientists, that, that's the same certainty that scientists have that smoking cigarettes leads to or can cause cancer. Mm-hmm. So there's a 95% certainty, same as our science about ca- cigarettes and cancer, is that humans burning these fossil fuels like coal, oil, and natural gas has caused the Earth's temperature to change and will continue to do that. And the basic reason for that is that when the sun hits the Earth and bounces back off, it's trapped and the heat is trapped with this increasing amount of carbon dioxide and greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. Right. Now, you know, I know that, uh, and even National Geographic, which is one of my favorite magazines, has um, come out with with maps, which I that's part of why I love them so much. They're great maps, and they show the shrinking of the Arctic ice. And, mm-hmm. you know, for a lot of people are like, you know, I don't live anywhere near the North Pole, so why does this matter to me? What are some of the environmental ramifications of uh, this rapidly melting ice in the Arctic Circle? Why should that matter to somebody in Missouri, you know? Yeah, two reasons. I mean, one is if you've probably seen these terrible documentaries about the polar bears, right, where there there are polar bears that for the first time ever, scientists have seen them cannibalizing each other. Um, and the reason is that they eat seals and other things on the on the Arctic ice, and as the Arctic ice disappears, they're getting less and less food. And so the polar bear will very likely go extinct because of global warming. Mm. Um, the other thing is that as the, Ar- the faster the Arctic ice melts, the faster it affects us in Missouri. And the reason for that is that when the sun comes in and hits the Arctic ice, it reflects it back off, and so the Arctic has been... Like, a, like an air conditioner for the world by reflecting all this heat off of the earth into the atmosphere. Now that in the summer there's just this dark water exposed, it's, it, you know, that absorbs heat and light. It doesn't reflect it like the ice. 
That's mm-hmm. accelerating warming everywhere. And so as the Arctic melts faster, you'll see stronger Sandies. As the Arctic melts faster, you'll see stronger, wilder weather. Um, as the Arctic melts faster, you'll see our growing seasons get weirder. And that will affect everybody and already is. Well, there you go, folks. Uh, in case you were wondering, why should I care about the Arctic Circle? That is about as good as an explanation as I've ever heard. Um, so let's talk about, then, these natural resources that uh, are available in the Arctic Circle. There's oil, there's gas, but how much of it? I mean, is there really so much that this is a game changer for, you know, all these other more conventional um, spots of natural resources that are beginning to kind of peak out in terms of production? What's the prize that all these companies are, are going for that are shooting up to the Arctic Circle to start drilling for oil now that there's not as much ice? Well, The U.S. Geological Survey estimates that you have about 30% of the world's gas and about 13% of the world's oil reserves that are unexploited in the Arctic waters. Mm -hmm. So it it is a lot. The question is, what of it is economically recoverable? How high will will our gas prices be when we have to drill for such expensive oil? But the Russian government, the U.S. government, big multinational oil companies – you know, as they run out of conventional oil and as they struggle, especially the oil companies, to find enough oil each year that they can say to Wall Street, we've found more oil than we've drilled this year, you know, they're struggling to keep their stock value up and they have to do that. And so they're just frantically exploring every last inch of the earth to find the last oil and gas reserves. That is... Um frightening, especially when you think about how much money is going into this exploration. And if that were money being spent to you know, increase renewable energy generation, uh, what a better picture our energy portfolio you know, would, would look like at that point. Um, talk to us about the risks of drilling in the Arctic. I mean, it is pretty extreme. Even though the ice is melting, it's still pretty extreme weather. What are some of the, the risks of doing the drilling up there, and, and what motivates Greenpeace activists to work so hard to stop it? Well, there are two risks. You know, I, was in the, I was in the Gulf during the huge BP Deepwater Horizon oil spill, mm-hmm. and you can't really clean up an oil spill. You can use all these toxic cancer-causing dispersants to try to spread it out, you can pretend like the oil and the waves won't go over these booms that are floating on top. You can try to skim whatever you can off the top, but it's really difficult to really clean an oil spill. You know, the oil dispersed in the Gulf, but in the Arctic, it, it's unlikely that it would. And the reason is it's really enclosed. There are just a few places where the Arctic Ocean actually meets other oceans. And so it's basically almost like a lake, and it'll just hold mm-hmm. the oil there. That's the first thing. The second thing is that um, oil is much harder to to clean up or try to clean up if you're in very cold water. Um, It's very difficult to clean up if there are ice chunks everywhere because you can't really skim the oil off of the top of the surface. Then if it's towards the end of the season, the drilling season, where the ice is coming back in the winter, um, you're talking about 24 hours of darkness, huge ice flows. The U.S. Coast Guard has called an Arctic oil spill their, quote, nightmare scenario that they have no idea how they'd clean up. Well, and I read a report um, just recently that talked about the the very real possibility that some of the oil, would there, if there were a spill, could be stored in ice that would flow to other areas of the world um, and essentially um, kind of move the the oil spill pretty far out of the area based on currents and and what have you. What do you know about that? <laughs> 
You know, not a lot, but in part because we don't know much about the Arctic ecosystem. You know, it's it's so unique. It has been there's been very little exploration of it, and we just don't know what we could destroy there. All we know is that it's almost impossible to clean up a spill there, and so we just shouldn't even mess with it. Well, and and you know, even years and years after the Exxon Valdez oil spill, there's still remnants of that. Um, that's right. it, it, you know, and so, and that's not even as harsh or extreme as the Arctic uh, weather patterns. You know, there, if you look at a map, there are several countries that have borders uh, on mm-hmm. the Arctic Circle. And I'm just wondering, are they all in favor of drilling for oil and trying to get their piece of the natural resources pie? Or do you find that some of the countries are more aligned with Greenpeace on this issue? What's your relationship with those countries like? You know, most are. So Canada, the U.S., Russia, most of the big countries are. And then you have China and other countries saying, we're not on the Arctic, but we want some of those resources as well. Um, so there's a, there's a mad rush to get to those resources. We've had a few countries come out and say that there should be a moratorium on extraction from the Arctic. Just like about 40 years ago, Greenpeace was able to get a ban and a moratorium on any commercial exploitation or industrial exploitation of the entire Antarctic. Uh, We're working to do the same for the Arctic now and and follow that model that was really successful. But a lot of the countries, you know, this is beyond oil. This is about military power. This is about shipping lanes. This is about nationalism for many countries. And many countries are, are, you know, it's it's getting, it's pretty scary. The CIA has said that they're concerned, and the Pentagon have said they're concerned about militarization of the Arctic and possible conflicts there. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, with all of these big, powerful countries vying for space, um, what kind of partnerships will Greenpeace need in order to um, to to make that place pristine, to to uh, effect a moratorium on that kind of activity in the Arctic Circle? Well, Finland has already come out saying that there should be, that we should protect the Arctic Circle and we shouldn't be drilling or overexploiting the fish resources or other commercial resources up there. Um, so there are some countries that have started to come forward and say, we need to protect these areas. I mean, ultimately, we're, we're also working a lot with indigenous communities. There are 4 million people that live in the Arctic, mm-hmm. uh, most of whom are, who are indigenous communities. And so we're working with them to make sure that their rights are respected and that they are have a voice in the process and that the lands and areas that they've relied on for, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years and their subsistence fishing rights and other rights are protected in any solution. But it'll take, it'll take people from around the world saying, this is really expensive oil, this could be really destructive, this seems like a step too far, and if we actually exploit these resources, this could lead to runaway global warming. Mm-hmm. Why don't we just have more fuel efficiency? Why don't we just have electric cars powered by clean energy? Why don't we make some smart choices here instead of militarizing the Arctic, destroying some of the last most beautiful places in the world, causing these oil spills and causing runaway global warming? Sounds so reasonable when you say it that way, Phil. But as we found, um, you, some of your activists have been caught up in the middle of uh, a, a very tough situation with a big, powerful government that doesn't see it your way. Um, and they're imprisoned in Russia. And we're going to talk about that right after this break, folks. So don't go away. We're going to be learning about the Arctic 30 right after this commercial break. News. 
opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson, in The Sea Around Us, said, All at last, return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. In case you're just tuning in, our guest today is Phil Radford. He's the Executive Director of Greenpeace USA. And I'm going to invite everybody who's in front of their computer or if you're listening to us on a tablet or smartphone, um, don't close this tab in your web browser. Keep listening to us on voiceamerica.com. But if you want to check out the some visuals of what we're going to be talking about in the next segment, open up a new tab in your web browser and go to greenpeace.org because we're going to be talking about the Arctic 30. And you can see their pictures there. You can browse around and check out some stories about them as we're talking to Phil about their plight. So, Phil... Let's talk about the Arctic 30. Let's begin with how this particular group was assembled, where are they from, and what was their original plan? Well, Jill, the Arctic 30 are its 28 Greenpeace activists and two independent journalists. Um, they are from about 14 different countries, and they all came together because they're incredibly committed to fighting climate change and to making sure that there's not another oil spill this time in the Arctic. Um, you know, they have a really varied history. So the captain of the ship is Peter Wilcox. And Peter was actually the captain of the Rainbow Warrior in 1985 when the French government uh, was tired of Greenpeace protesting its nuclear tests and sent special forces to New Zealand when they bo- and they bombed the ship and blew it up and sank it. And that, that was, you know, incredibly tragic because we lost one of our, our photographers, Fernando Pereira, um, thank goodness all the rest of the crew was off the ship because it was someone's birthday. 
but that just deepened Peter's resolve. And so since then, he's sailed the world's oceans and worked to stop the dumping of toxic waste at sea, dumping nuclear waste at sea, worked to stop some of the worst pirate fishers and fishing companies in the world. And now he is in an Arctic, you know, he went to the Arctic to stop this new huge threat to our planet and is in prison. You know, it's a, probably the second most aggressive response we've ever gotten from a government after the French bombing the Rainbow Warrior is, is the Russians violating international law, boarding our ship in international waters, illegally arresting people and taking the ship, and the Russian courts making up these charges of piracy, which could mean they're in jail for 15 years. Gee, we'll talk about um, what exactly their protest was, you know, meant to to accomplish, and how they were going to carry it out. I mean, um, this wasn't like a, you know, carrying posters on a stick kind of protest. This was at sea, very dramatic. Um, in fact, your website has some great videos and some great photos of it that I hope our listeners will check out. But kind of set it up for us. What were they What were they going to do to protest? They went to one of Gazprom's, which is a big Russian oil company. They went to one of Gazprom's oil rigs where the first ever Arctic oil drilling was about to happen. And Gazprom has teamed up with Shell, which has tried to explore for oil in the U.S. Arctic, but has made so many mistakes and violated so many safety policies that the U.S. government, which wanted to drill for oil in the Arctic, finally said, Shell, you've got to stop. Um, So they went there to hang a banner on this huge oil rig just alerting the world to the fact that this would cause more runaway climate change and could lead to an oil spill. You know, Gazprom has come out and said that we could have broken the oil rig or something like that, or that we were capturing the oil rig. Um, And, it's you know, Gazprom has built these platforms to be able to withstand torpedoes and massive ice flows hitting it. Um, So two people, one woman, one man, with a rope and a banner hanging from the side would hardly do any damage. Um, But they were incredibly courageous and and knew that they would probably get in trouble for boarding it without permission. Um, But never, nobody ever expected that charges of piracy, which just don't apply here, would be leveled and such an extreme reaction would happen. So how exactly were they captured? Um, You know, I was watching some of the videos uh, that showed a little bit of it, but of course, you know, when the forces you know, that captured them were coming in, it's kind of tough to keep the camera going. So describe yeah. how they were taken captive. So there were two waves of it. So the first wave was there were two people that were doing the protest, and the FSB, the basically paramilitary forces of Russia, came in small inflatable boats just like our activists were in, um, fired 11 warning shots with a gun, with a cannon over the ship, and then fired their rifles towards the activists into the water. Uh, one activist had a knife pulled on them, and they the activists said, "Okay, <laughs> we're coming down. We won't deploy the banner." Uh, yeah. But still, the still some of the workers and uh, other folks were shaking their ropes and kind of jerking them around against the side of it, and it was pretty dangerous while our activists were saying, we're peaceful, we're, we're unarmed, we're Greenpeace, we're coming down. So mm-hmm. those two were arrested. And, you know, Greenpeace doesn't think it's above the law, and those activists knew they weren't above the law, and they knew they were boarding an oil platform and that there would be a consequence for it, for boarding it without permission. And mm-hmm. most experts in international law say, yep, the consequence is you should, you should be arrested, you should have a fine, and you should be let go. Uh, but the charges against them now are incredibly severe. 
The other, the other 28, um, including two independent journalists, were arrested a day later. And so the ship left the scene. The FSB allowed the ship to leave the scene. And it was in international waters, and it, night was falling. And a helicopter came overhead, and 15 masked military people descended from a rope with incredibly huge guns um, and made everybody lie down, face to the ground, cuffed them, searched everything, and illegally seized the ship in international waters. And you've got to imagine, like, countries should not be able to send their military to international waters to take a ship flagged under another country, so it's Dutch flagged, uh-huh. And just take everyone prisoner, take the ship, and take them back to their country. That's completely against international law. Yeah, and so who's charged taken, with piracy? <laughs> yeah, and they're charged with piracy. Yeah, it yeah. seems like it's the other way around, but go ahead. Yeah, no, it does seem like it was the other way around. And the charges, you know, so then they kept people in the mess for quite a while or in the kitchen. Um, they detained them for four days. They our captain, Peter Wilcox, said, look, this is illegal. I'm not piloting the ship back to Russia. So they mm-hmm. towed the ship back to Russia. Uh, we finally were able to talk to them. They were in jail for several days, and then we're told that they were going to be held in prison for two months while they figured out if they would charge them with piracy. Uh, and later they did charge them with piracy. Mm-hmm. So what's going on with them now? Do they have... Um you know, do they have legal defense? Uh, you know, uh, who's advocating for them? They do. We um, Greenpeace has supplied them each with a lawyer. Um, they all have translators. There are there's a whole legal team on the ground in Murmansk, Russia, right now. The all 30 of them are. I mean, to watch the courts was pretty amazing. So each one was brought into court for a trial or for a hearing. They're in a one-person little cage, standing there in a cage. Uh, one of the journalists said, you know, the crime I'm being accused of is being a journalist covering this, and I will keep committing that crime. <laughs> you know, so it's really yeah. it's amazing. There are these tiny little cages, and then they're sent off to several jails around Russia, and these are pretty harsh conditions. These are like Soviet-era prisons. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are split up in different groups all over the northwest of Russia. And what do you think, uh, you know, do, do you have an idea of, you know, what the, what the final implication will be? I mean, do you know if, you know, they're going to be released or is that still just a complete unknown? I think it's an unknown. The amazing thing is that people in 220 cities immediately held vigils, held protests and rallies. Thousands of people marched in the streets of Moscow. I think it will really depend on public support within Russia and around the world to say, look, these folks were taking a risk to tell us all about the risk of oil drilling and climate change. And yes, they're actually willing to take the consequences of that, but making up charges of piracy for 15 years in Russian prison is crazy. And I think ultimately it will come down to President Putin, who said that he doesn't think that they're pirates. Um, and it'll come down to him if he decides to pardon people after the court case. Are the nations of the that you know that uh, the Arctic Thirty are from? Are they doing anything at this point to help Greenpeace advocate for their release, or is this pretty much you know up to Greenpeace and the lawyers you've provided? 
You know, uh, President Dilma from Brazil yesterday announced that she's talked to high-level officials in the Russian government and called for a resolution other than Brazilian citizens being in prison for 15 years for these charges. The U.S. State Department has made a statement urging uh, the Russian courts to really consider the peaceful nature of the protest, the fact that everybody knows what Greenpeace is, uh, when they determine what laws have been broken or not, kind of, you know, subtly saying they're not pirates, they didn't commit piracy. You right. should drop that. Um, and other governments have been very active. The Dutch government is suing the Russian government for illegally taking the people and the ship mm-hmm. in the international courts. So a lot of governments have stepped out to say, this is extreme. You know, give them a fine, release them, then let's move on. You know, when I think about this from the Russian perspective, it's hard to see a win for them in this situation. If they hold the Arctic 30 prisoners for a long time, you know, maybe with the idea that they're going to make other activists scared to do this same act, then they're they're also kind of prolonging the story and the amount of time mm-hmm. that mainstream media is going to be covering, you know, the hazards of Arctic oil drilling and why you guys were there in the first place, which on the one hand, from a PR perspective, is great for this story. You know, it's a great thing that people around the world are hearing about what's happening in the Arctic. On the other hand, if the Russians release them too soon, um, then there's not much of a deterrent to keep future protesters from doing the same thing. Um, and I and I don't know, you know, from their perspective, what they'll end up doing. Um, but this is this is a conundrum for all concerned, to be sure. You know, I think there's another view as well, which is that the Russia is a powerful country. It is a major geopolitical player. Uh, it's a really sizable economy, and it's and I think I think that Russia has an interest in showing the world that it has rule of law, right? That that there's rule of law in Russia where if someone commits a crime, they're charged just for that crime. They're treated fairly in their courts. That, you know, that Russia is a place where you can do business, that Russia is a place where you can visit, that Russia is a good partner in the world. And I think for a country of their prominence and importance in the world, I think it, I don't think it's a loss for President Putin to say, I already said I don't think they're pirates, and so I am going to, you know, I'm going to wipe it clean and let people go and pardon them. Mm-hmm. And in Russia, there is rule of law, and we invite people to do business with us, and we invite people to partner with us, and we're, you know, we're part of the modern world. Mm. KGBify it, yeah. <laughs> we're, this isn't a, a KGB operation, so I, you know that's a great point. Um, this this is an opportunity. This is a chance for them to show that they're that they're more modern and 21st century and and ruled by law. You're exactly right. Well, we've got to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we're going to be talking about what else can be done to protect the Arctic Circle. So don't go away, folks. There's much more Go Green Radio right after this. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? 
Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Tolvanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Tolvanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Each week, Jimmy Gould brings you the stories and the people that you want to hear about. Tune in to A Current Life to hear about the journey to success, how our guests became the people they are today, and the highs and lows they experienced along the way. Each hour will leave you inspired and entertained as Jimmy gets up close and personal with every week's guest and shares ideas you can identify with and apply to your own life. A Current Life with Jimmy Gould airs Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. I want to give a big shout out to all my tweets following me at, at Jill Buck. Love to hear your comments. Love to get your tweets about what we're talking about on the show. Um, today, if you're just tuning in, our guest is Phil Radford. He's the executive director of Greenpeace USA. And of course, Greenpeace activists have been all over the news. Uh, unbelievable set of circumstances as a result of a peaceful protest uh, against Arctic oil drilling. They were captured. Um, they've been imprisoned. They've been charged with piracy, of all things, and they're being held in uh, Russian prisons. And uh, right now, we just don't know what's going to happen to them. If you want to find out more, I would encourage you to open a new tab in your web browser while you're here listening to us on voiceamerica.com and check out uh, greenpeace.org. There you're going to find some really cool stuff. Besides a lot of stories uh, you know, in writing, you're going to find some great photo galleries, some cool videos that show the protests, show uh, a portion of their capture. Just really interesting stuff. And even more importantly, you can find out how you can get involved in a part of this campaign to save the Arctic Circle. And we'll talk about that more in just a few moments. But let's get back to protecting the Arctic Circle. Um, Phil, what do you think that President Obama and federal regulators here in the U.S. should be doing about this issue of Arctic oil drilling? Well, you know, the, we have a choice right now. This is a really important moment in history. And the choice is, it's really clear. So according to scientists, we need to leave a really significant portion of the oil deposits and the natural gas deposits underground unburned. If we don't do that, we could make life on Earth pretty miserable. You know, we could end up uh, killing a huge percentage of the world's species this, this uh, century. We could end up turning a lot of the most important cropland into areas that are much more difficult to grow crops on. We could really affect human life as we know it and the world as we know it. So if we burn all this oil, we're in deep trouble. You know, at the same time, 
we have great new technologies. We don't need this oil. It's really expensive oil. And we could shift really aggressively with a moonshot program to electric vehicles. You know, if you're in Texas, where 25% of the electricity is from wind energy right now, you can power your cars with clean energy and get off of oil and coal almost entirely. There are technologies here today, and there's hope and opportunity here today that creates more jobs that we could do without causing runaway global warming, without worrying about protecting oil in the Arctic with our military, and without destroying this one of the few untouched, beautiful places in the world. From a regulatory standpoint, what could the president uh, do? I mean, what, what's within his power, his purview um, to direct federal regulators to do? You know, one thing we could do is we could just stop subsidizing the oil industry. You know, when you talk to the solar and wind industry, they're actually saying they don't want state subsidies or other subsidies after 2016, that they're fine competing on their own, and they'll win. Uh, the oil industry and the natural gas industry are saying no such thing. So when Shell goes to the Arctic and fails at its exploration, it gets a tax break. It gets to write its failure off uh, with the federal government. The solar industry isn't doing that. The wind industry isn't doing that. The plug-in electric vehicle industry isn't doing that. One thing he could do is just change the game by stop giving our tax dollars to these really extreme and you know really mature companies that don't need tax dollars. So that's, that's the first thing. I think the second thing he could do is continue to focus the Department of Energy and increase the focus on investing in battery technology and promoting cleaner cars so that we can get off of oil within the next 20 years. Mm-hmm. And in terms of, you know, creating a, a moratorium on drilling up there, I mean, um, is that something that you see as a realistic possibility, something that, you know, as far as U.S. waters go, this is not allowed, or is that sort of wishful thinking? You know, when Greenpeace started and we wanted to ban nuclear testing, we had the same question. Uh, when we started to say, you know, we should actually make sure whales don't go extinct, people thought, that's stupid. We actually used whales for oil back then uh, mm-hmm. and for meat. When we decided we want to protect all of Antarctica from any mining, militarization, any commercial exploitation, people thought it was nuts. And we've done it all. And so I think the question is how committed are people, how many people will join in this movement to protect the Arctic and how can we make sure that the voice of people in our demand for a better world for our children is stronger uh, than Shell and Exxon's desire to have a few more reserves? Well, let me ask you this. This is kind of a ancillary, you know, comment or question for you. But, um, you know, you've achieved so much in the history of Greenpeace, even before there was social media. And even before we've seen kind of this resurgence of um, civil engagement, at least here in the U.S., how do you feel like, you know, that increased um, civic engagement in these types of issues you know, even just over the past five years, we've seen more and more people getting involved. How how much has that influenced your influence as an organization? You know, it, it's kind of like the it's the thing that makes all boats rise. Mm-hmm. So if you look at if you look at the history of environmental progress, whether or not you like it, it's almost always been based on people in the streets. So in Earth Day 1970, there were millions of people on the streets. And for the next decade, we had law after law after law passed. And all studies show that the more protest there is, the more people are really engaged personally, the more happens. And so mm-hmm. it's great. You know, the the great work by 350.org and Bill McKibben to put the Keystone XL pipeline on the political agenda 
if we all hadn't been there together, willing to go to jail outside of the White House to say We've, this has to stop, that never would have elevated to the political level that it did. Mm-hmm. And I think we're seeing more and more people are realizing that we have asked nicely for a long time, and time is running out, and some people need to take some personal risks and put themselves on the line to say this is just this important. Mm-hmm. You know, getting back to this whole notion of the militarization of the Arctic, um, as a former naval officer, this concerns me greatly. Um, I, you know, the idea that anybody in the military really wants to go to war is really not accurate. Most people who are in the military uh, think of themselves as people who want to protect, who want to serve. But, um, you know, fighting is kind of the last option. But I've been reading a lot of reports. Um, I am kind of a white paper junkie, and I've been looking at some of the white papers coming out of the Naval War College that show that, um, you know, Russia is trying to do things like extend its continental shelf boundary to reach under the North Pole for natural resources, obviously. And that China, even though it's not a border nation in the Arctic Circle, is also making moves in the region. And even, you know, our friends to the north, Canada um, and the U.S., don't agree on who owns rights to the Northwest Passage, which is a great shipping lane um, and could be incredibly valuable um, to move goods from east to west. Um, it didn't used to be open. And now because of sea you know, melting or ice uh, melting, it, it's going to be more accessible. So it sounds like a lot of geopolitical conflict is brewing. And I'm wondering how this affects your optimism um, in terms of Greenpeace and other like-minded activists being able to stop Arctic drilling without military involvement. You know, it's a, it's a really good question. I mean, the, you're right. I mean, the Russian government even planted a Russian flag outside of their outer continental shelf and said, this is ours. There's a huge resource grab happening by everybody. And the Pentagon is, has also been very concerned and been studying the militarization of the Arctic and has been very worried about more conflicts over resources because as we run out of so many of our wars and conflicts are just about resources, right? So mm-hmm. a lot of our military spending is focused on protecting oil lanes, which is really a huge subsidy to the oil industry. It'd be great if we didn't have to spend those resources protecting oil lanes. Yep. And so it's it's becoming a, a it's always been a huge a huge expense in the US budget. It's always been a huge expense in terms of human lives and Americans' lives. Mm-hmm. And it you know, the sooner we can kick these habits the better. You know, when we Greenpeace has done a lot of work that has seemed impossible because militaries want militaries want something, right? Or the politicians, the, the commanders-in-chief want something. And I think the biggest example of that is nuclear testing, where you know, we first started out as a small group of about 13 people who were journalists and Quakers, and which is where a peaceful and nonviolent philosophy comes from, um, who were environmentalists, and they decided they didn't know how to take on the U.S. military-industrial complex as pacifists, but they just thought, wow, the U.S. is testing nuclear weapons above and below ground and right on a fault line in a small island off of Alaska. We just have to go out and bear witness to it and show the world what's happening. And it was against a lot of military short-term interests to say, we don't need these nuclear weapons, we don't need to test them anymore. Um, but we just persevered and millions of people joined and there were other groups working on it. And collectively, we were able to ban nuclear testing below ground and above ground as well. 
So we always start out, when you want to win something big enough, there's always some stakeholder that wants to keep the status quo, whether it's testing weapons, whether it's dumping nuclear waste at sea, or whether it's drilling in the Arctic. And we'll just have to continue to, to peacefully say, no, here's a line in the sand. We can't let you go further because there's so much more at stake than your short-term interests. Mm-hmm. And it's worked before, and it will work if we have millions of people with us. You know, a lot of the people who listen to Go Green Radio are parents, um, and they're in a variety of occupations. But part of what's gotten them into, quote-unquote, going green is this idea of preserving natural resources and preserving our environment for future generations. They have, you know, they have blood in the game now. They've got their DNA mm-hmm. in the game. Um you know, there's so many issues. <laughs> you know, there's so many battlefronts in, you know, the Arctic is one. There's so many others. Can you just briefly talk to them? Talk to those war-weary parents who are trying to do the right thing on behalf of their children and, and their posterity. Um, what's your message to them? You know, my wife and I are, are planning to have a kid, and we have had a lot of conversations about what's the world look like that we'll bring our kid up in. And it's a little scary, you know, and I think a lot of people, right when they have kids and just become parents, start thinking, what are the toxics that my children are exposed to? Or, you know, what's the world going to look like? Or these places that I love, will they be around for my kids? And it's a scary question. It's one that I think people would prefer not to think about, but we have this obligation to think about it. And I would say it's not all on you. It's not all on each of us. But what's on us is to look directly at the people that have the power to make the biggest biggest changes that we need to be made. And that is the president, that's our local elected officials, that's companies. You know, we all all are doing our little parts to make this world better and to protect our children and to make the environment better, and we need them to do their part. You know, we need industry-wide and government-wide solutions to accelerate clean energy and to accelerate clean cars. And we can all do our part, but fundamentally, if people do anything, apart from making sure their kids aren't exposed to toxics and their products and things like that, they should be demanding that the president, the Congress, and corporate CEOs are doing their part to give us the choices that we need to be able to have so that we can have a world we want to pass on to our kids. Well said, Phil. On that, we're going to take a quick commercial break. But when we come back, there's more Go Green Radio and more thoughts from Phil Radford, the Executive Director of Greenpeace USA. So don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with more Go Green Radio. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Tolvanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Tolvanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. 
VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. If you happen to just be tuning in, our guest today is Phil Radford. He's the Executive Director of Greenpeace USA, and we've been talking about What's going on in the Arctic Circle? Um, some, you know, the hazards of drilling for oil up there, just the drilling itself, the hazards of burning the hydrocarbon fuels, the oil, the gas that would be coming out of those drills, um, and what kind of harm that could do to the planet. Phil, you know, some of the people who listen to Go Green Radio are students. Some of them are high school students. Some of them are college students. And I'm imagining that some of them may be doing a school project on what's up with the Arctic Circle. And they may have Googled that and found the the show. And so what would be your message to them? What do students of today need to know about the Arctic Circle? And what should they expect of the adult decision makers in this world? Well, I think the first thing I'd say is that students have led every major social movement in recent Western history, and that it's always students that act first, whether it's because, you know, maybe it's because a lot of students have more time, but I think it's more because students just see see much more clearly morally that, sure, it might be complicated because your paycheck comes from Exxon, so you might not be able to see what's happening, but what you're doing is, if you're Gazprom, if you're Exxon, or if you're Shell, is you're making a lot of money, but you're stealing from our future. And so actually that money shouldn't be yours. That's our future in your pockets. And students see that. And so what I would say to students is keep leading and we'll support you uh, just because it's always been students, whether in the anti-apartheid movement, in the civil rights movement, any movement that's really pushed our country forward, students have always been at the forefront of that. Awesome. I, I have a piece of advice for students as well. Learn all you can about what is. A lot of times what I see is students who know what they want things to be, and then they get frustrated because um, they have a tough time seeing how to get the world from where it is now to where they want it to be. And the more you know about how things work, how energy systems work, how energy companies work, and why things that are going on in the world are happening – the better able you'll be to set out some milestones to get from where we are now to where you want things to be. And I think um, you know, that would be my greatest advice. A lot of kids you know, eventually kind of burn out and get um, disgruntled because they feel like, oh, man, I can't affect change. You know, I, nothing's changing no matter how many protests I, I go to. Um, and, and you can be more effective with your protests if you know how things work. You know, case in point, Greenpeace, you knew where to go to make your stand. You know how the world works and you have those eyes wide open, um, as you're, as you're leading the charge to what the world, um, should be, what the, the way you want it to, to work. You know, how, uh, back to the Arctic 30, cause, uh, you know, I, I'm a mom and I, I tend to be a nurturer and I, I wonder how they're holding up. <laughs> Can we send them care packages? Can we communicate with them to encourage them? Is there anything that we as uh, Go Green Radio advocates can do to help the Arctic 30? 
You could send them care packages, and I also think sending them messages, they would really appreciate it. If, if you go to greenpeace.org, you can find their bios, you can find information about them, and you can also send us an email that we can send on to them for them to see. Because I think that your moral support and showing that you agree with them, that you appreciate what they're going through because you know it's for a better world, I think that would really be moving to them and mean a lot. You know, the, they're in Russian jail <laughs> right now, yeah. and... These are kind of Soviet-era jails. They're, you know, U.S. jails are terrible, but the Russian jails are far worse. Uh, there, some of them have experienced not getting any darkness at all, so lights 24 hours a day, frigid temperatures. It's, not the, it's certainly not the most pleasant thing. But I think the, the big thing that, that would make this all worth it is if people say, well, they acted, you know, they did something based on their convictions, and I can do something too. And you don't have to be with them to really be with them. Mm -hmm. You can sign a petition, you can hold a rally, you can join a candlelight vigil, you can find all these things at greenpeace.org. It would mean a ton, help keep pressure up to get them out, but also help keep the reason for their, you know, courageous action in the public, that they're there to protect all of us from climate change and protect all of us from oil spills in some of the most beautiful last places on Earth. You know, I, I noticed this take action is a prominent part of all your campaigns on your website. Um, and I'd like for you to talk about you know, in a little bit more detail, what some of the actions are we can take to include making donations. Talk to us about if, if we give money to Greenpeace, how's that money used to actually help Stop Arctic drilling. <laughs> kind of talk us through all the various ways that our listeners can get involved. Well, Greenpeace is one of the very few nonprofits in the world that is totally independent. So we take no money from corporations and we take no money from governments because we never want someone to be able to call us and say, this string is attached and we're pulling it. Uh, what we want to be loyal to and committed to is the science of what we need to do to save our planet and our members who are what give us the ability to do anything. And so if someone gives Greenpeace $10 a month or $15 a month or $35 one time, that enables us to do all of our work from protecting the Arctic to pushing for clean energy and to get away from dirty energy to saving the world's oceans to saving the world's most important rainforests. So we're people-powered and people-fueled, and that would be amazing. People can also sign up to volunteer. So if you go to Greenpeace.org, there's a Donate button. There's a volunteer button where you can sign up to get involved in your local community. And there are other ways to get involved as well, like leaving a legacy or planning a gift so that you leave a real legacy for the world in the future that all these people are fighting for. Tell us a little bit about the volunteer opportunities. What would that entail? Well, there are a lot of opportunities. Some people intern on their campuses or with Greenpeace. Some people are in local groups around the world, so from Germany to Jakarta, Indonesia, to cities all over the United States. People are in campus chapters. They're in volunteer groups in different communities. Um, some people volunteer in the office. And we're a nonprofit that really gets our strength and all of our, our resources and our time from people who are passionate and put their time in and volunteer and contribute. So people could help organize vigils. People could help phone bank and call people to get them out to uh, different events. People could help promote things on social media. There's no shortage. If people have interests, you know, Greenpeace is 100% powered by people, and we need you. 
I love that message, Phil, because so many times there are a lot of organizations that just want your money and then leave us alone. We'll send you a thank you note and then let us do our thing. I love the fact that um, people can really roll up their sleeves and at whatever level they're comfortable, uh, from the local on up to global, um, you have a place for people to actually physically show up and get involved. I think that's um, a tremendous strength of the organization. As big as you are, you retain that grassroots feel, and I think that's terrific. Um, I want to thank you, Phil, for being on the show, and I want to thank the activists. Uh, I don't know if they'll ever hear this broadcast, but I want to thank the Arctic 30 for their bravery and going out there and advocating for all our our benefit. And uh, folks, if you'd like to do more, if you'd like to get involved, check out greenpeace.org. Um, we're going to be here, same time, same place next week. So until then, have a great week and do something in your life to go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.